We hope today's message will encourage you and strengthen you with God's Word. We are certainly living in a world that is constantly changing, but God's Word will always be true. The Bible tells us that God is unchanging and will always be all-knowing, all-powerful, the Creator and Sustainer of life. God's Word is truth and life, and we are thankful for the opportunity to share His Word with you each week. This sermon was recorded at Rolling Fork Baptist Church in Nelson County. You can find out more information by visiting rollingforkbc.com or find us on Facebook, listed as Rolling Fork Baptist Church of Boston, Kentucky. And now, let's listen in to this week's message. I'd like you to join me, if you would, in 1 Thessalonians. And, and this particular passage is very special because... Paul is sending this letter to encourage these people that they have not missed the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as we go through this message today, I truly hope that it helps you in a lot of ways, including giving you a hunger for more of God's Word. I want you to think about uh, what he is saying in these verses for example, in verse 1, he says, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace, or grace to you in peace. And what I want you to see here is the fact that he, um, he says, Paul, Savannah, which is actually Silas, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. And Timothy, number one in your sheet, I want you to write this down, please, that we should always be thinking in terms of we and, and not me. And I should have this on for you. That would help, wouldn't it? Junior's like, I did my part. Leave me alone. Now, when the roofers were here the other day, I got you, I got you, you got to understand this. I was totally amazed. On the roof, it'll take a moment. On the roof, there were uh, four guys, okay? Two of these guys had the air guns. Two of the guys were unpacking the shingles and, and feeding the guy that was actually nailing them down, all right? When you look at the building, you're going to say, wow, the guy that nailed them down really did a good job as far as spacing them out and everything else. What you don't see is the work of the guys that were unpacking the shingles and sliding them down to the guy that was doing the work. And not only that, but they were working together so efficiently that you could close your eyes and know the rhythm now, Jimmy was here. You know what I'm talking about, right? You could close your eyes and you hear slide, boom, 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 slide, boom, 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 boom. I mean, just that consistent. And I'm going to tell you right now, the guys who were unpacking the shingles were working much harder than the other guys, but the other guys get the glory because they show what it looks like. My point is this, when we come together, it's not one person getting all the glory. We are the body of Christ coming together. Paul and Silas and Timothy. Paul could have easily said, okay, here I am, you know, the, the, the big professional evangelist, preacher and teacher and trainer. And these are my two guys that are studying after me. He didn't do that. Throughout the book, he keeps saying, we thank God for you. We this, we that. It, that's how we should be thinking. As the body of Christ, always, we coming together. I have an aunt 
whose eyesight was so bad when she was born that she literally thought that grass was a solid sheet of green. She did not understand until she had glasses and she began to see the individual blades. We don't need to see the individual blades. We need to see what God sees, and He sees the body of Christ. In verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work in faith, work of faith and labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. On this one, I'm going to give you two of these points at the same time. Here we go. Number two, we should constantly be thanking God for each other. Okay, we should constantly be thanking God for each other. And then the second or the third one is we should be living the kind of lives that others are thankful for. Now, go back up where you that. Read your screen. Thank you, bud. Becky, don't mess Junior up. I'm concentrating. Now, now think about this for a moment. Two things here, back to back. They're often the same verse. We remember, we thank God for, so we should constantly be thanking God for each other. In your prayer time, if your prayer time is only about self, that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us praying for each other. I remember years ago when uh, I saw on, on Bubbles Vacation Bible School wall the, the great big letters, pray for one another. That's what we should be doing on a regular basis. Not just for those who are sick, not just those who are recovering from injuries or whatever it is, but pray for everyone. To be used by God in a very powerful way. And to be used in a way that is like those roofers. So consistent. Got the job done just like that. These guys never got into an argument that day. Hey, you've already used the air gun long enough. It's my turn. Right? That's how we, we, we would be sometimes. Like, hey, I, I want to do it. Come on. Why do you do all the time? I'm working my tail off and you could do that. We should be constantly thanking God for each other. And then we should be living the kind of lives that others are thankful for. That when they think about you, they have these thoughts. I am glad, Lord, that you brought that person into my life. Because they have helped me. They have encouraged me. They have taught me. They have reminded me of your faithfulness. They have, they have pointed me to you. And this is what we should be doing. He talks about in verse 3, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. This idea of hope and love and faith. Paul wrote about that regularly in 1 Corinthians 13, for example. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We need all three of these, and we should be living a life that shows that we have that in our lives. Verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. 
Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So number four on your sheet, we should be living the kind of lives that prove that God has chosen us. Again, we should be living the kind of lives that prove that God has chosen us. Now, if you remember, when we were reading John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying, he says, Lord, I'm not praying for all of the world. I'm only praying for those you've given me. And the reason he was able to do that is because he sees from behind looking forward. We don't know who is going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. So we are commanded to pray for every single person for their salvation, for their souls. And so as we see somebody who is truly saved and we see that fruit being born uh, or bared, I'll use bared. It may not be the right word, but anyway, they are producing some fruit that we see on a regular basis. Consistently, we're like, okay, truly that person's a Christian because look at the fruit that they're bearing, right? So we look backwards. Jesus looks forward. He says, we know that you've been chosen because we've seen what you're doing. If they weren't chosen, they wouldn't be faithfully obeying God. Obedience is not how you get to God, but it's proof that you have been saved by God. And we got to remember that. So he talked about that, con- that uh, conviction there. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. When you share the word of God, there are things that God will do in that conversation that you cannot do on your own. And what's really interesting is the conversation will often go in a direction you didn't expect it to. Because God will lead you and help you to understand what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and so forth. Now, the last part of verse 5 looks like it's totally out of place. Because he's talking about their faith, their love, their hope. And then all of a sudden he says... You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Why did he say that in this place? Well, the answer is in verse 6. And you became imitators of us. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So number five on your sheet, we should be living the kind of lives that imitate Jesus Christ. We should be living the kind of lives that imitate Jesus Christ. Now, listen, I'm I'm one of these guys that, uh, as far as the, the groceries are concerned, I don't want the generic stuff, okay? Rhonda's like... But these are cheaper. I said, yeah, and they taste like cardboard. I want the real ones, right? You know, don't get me that. I mean, just for example, I like Coke Zero. I don't want Sam's Cola, okay? Or I I like uh, uh, Bush's beans. I don't want our special or everyday beans or whatever their label is, okay? I want real beans, not these cardboard things, right? It makes all the difference in the world. 
Imitations are not, for example, if you have a car that needs to be repaired, it's always better to have the actual parts made by the, the company that you bought the car from. Buying the generic parts from AutoZone or whatever doesn't always work that well. But in this particular case, as you see by the heading of the, the message today, the title, this is a case when imitation is good because you have the one true Jesus Christ and we as Christians are to be imitators of him in such a way that they see him instead of seeing us. And when Paul says that you know what kind of men we prove to be, He's not saying that as far as, wow, look how great we were among you. He's saying, you saw Christ in us and you followed us. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be ye imitators of me as I am of Christ. So if you imitated Paul, you wasn't imitating Paul himself. You were imitating Paul, imitating Jesus Christ. And that's what we should be doing. We should be living lives that cause people to see Christ in us without any question whatsoever. Again, by what we say, what we do, and what we think. He says, you, be, you became imitators, and you did this in spite of the affliction that you were going through. So this, listen, they weren't hearing the gospel during happy days. They weren't hearing the gospel during uh, days that everybody's just like, oh, this is just such an easy life, isn't it? They were being persecuted. They were being chased all over the place. And in spite of that, they were hearing the gospel and they were encouraged by it. They were saved by it. And God did a great work in there so much that they became a great example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Look at verse eight. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you and notice he didn't say uh, because of you, it has sounded forth from you, you have been sharing the word also in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone everywhere. So we do not need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. In other words, you gladly received the word of God and how you turn from God to idols to serve the living and true God. You showed true repentance. You left your old way of life and became a new person, which is what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You turn from idolatry and you now worship the one true God. And you not only worship him personally, but you also do it in such a way that your reputation as being godly people is spreading all over the place. That's what would be great if we had a reputation around this area. When people say Roland Fort Baptist, they say those are people who believe in God and pray to God and serve God and love God and love each other. And that should be said about any church, no matter what the label You turned from the gods, or turned to God from the idols. You imitated Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But look at this. In verse 10, and you was waiting, what? You was waiting for Jesus to come back. Number six on your sheet. We should be expecting to see Jesus at any time. We should be. Now, 
let me say that again, we should be expecting to see Jesus at any time. On the back of your bulletin, you have all of these weird-looking drawings, okay? Let me tell you what this is and why I gave it to you. When you talk about eschatology, which is the study of end times, there are so many versions or arguments or discussions being made because one person says, well, Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. One says he's coming back after the tribulation, but before the millennium. Or one person says he's coming back after the tribulation and the millennium. One says we're already in the tribulation. One says this, one says that. Listen to me very carefully. These people holding these discussions are going to Bible verses and providing a good discussion as far as why they believe what they believe. But here's the two things that I know for a fact. One, Jesus is coming back. And two, you got to be ready. You don't have to worry about when this happens. You just be faithful to God. Keep your eyes upon Christ and he'll take care of all the details. So when somebody says that they are this and they want to argue about it, we are not to argue about this. We don't understand this. Listen, there are certain things that you do argue about. You make sure that everybody that you're talking to understands that you are without a doubt fully convinced that Jesus was born of a virgin. You make sure that everyone that you talk to understands that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, not Jesus, uh, Jesus and somebody else. You make sure that these things that are dead cut, this is the truth, no other way, you stay with that. Amen. But when it's things like the Lord's Supper, well, you should do it every week. You should do it once a quarter, once a year, once a this, once a... There's nothing in Scripture that tells you how often you have to do that. It just says that when you do it, you do it in remembrance of Christ. There are so many things that's in the Bible that people want to argue about. And God says, stop that. Again, Jesus said, you'll be known as my disciples if you love one another, not if your theology is better than somebody else's. So no matter how many different reports you can find on this, and it is interesting to listen to it, But when you think about what Paul is saying right here, that you are waiting for the Son, he's giving us indication here that it was indeed possible that Jesus would return while he was still there. And we see this in other places. So how all this works out, I don't know. But what I do know is this, that Paul says you need to be watching and you need to be ready. I've given you some verses to look at and read today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive. 
Paul did not say, now those who are alive at that time, he says, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and uh, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. That phrase, caught up together, is the word they talk about when they refer to the rapture. That we will be caught up together with Him in the clouds, and we will be with Him always. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It says in First uh, Thessalonians 5, verses 1 and 2, that He's coming like a thief in the night. Listen, if you knew when somebody was going to break into your house, you would be there to, to stop it. If you go by these charts and you have this mentality, I'm going to live like I want to until I see these signs happening, then I know I've got seven years to get my act together. That is not the right approach. He is not coming when there are signs that says, okay, check your watch. Let's synchronize this. we got six months to go. He's coming when you least expect it. You must be ready. And you see these other verses as well. So again, please understand, God is calling for us to be obedient. And you say, well, you know, I've been obedient all this time and he hasn't come yet. Well, that's okay. Because you're blessed being obedient. It's better than being punished or being disobedient. You're to be faithful to God. He didn't say only be faithful when it benefits you. Okay, so every day we live, we glorify God with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We keep our eyes upon Christ. We don't worry about all this other stuff going on. We see the Bible, and the Bible says that He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and nobody has power over Him. So we should be expecting Him at all times. And then finally, number seven on your sheet. We should be grateful that we have been delivered from God's wrath. We should be grateful that we have been delivered from God's wrath. When somebody says, are you saved? And you say, yes. And they say, saved from what? Yes, you could say, I'm saved from sin. I'm saved from myself. I'm saved from this and that and the other. But more than anything else, you are saved from the wrath of God. That's the very thing that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross in your place if you are a Christian. He took your shame, your pain, and your guilt as he suffered the wrath of God Paul tells us in Corinthians that he became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. There is absolutely no way that you should not be grateful if you're a Christian. Now, here's part of the argument that you'll hear as far as when Jesus is coming back. Look at this phrase. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word deliver in the original language means to rescue from danger, save, rescue, deliver, preserve. Now here's the question. Did Paul say that Jesus will keep you from the wrath of God by taking you up? 
or protecting you while you endure tribulation. That's their argument. One of the verses that's used to, to support the rapture is Revelation 3.10 when it says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial or the hour of temptation, as it says in the King James, or the New American Standard says the hour of testing. I will keep you from that. Again, I don't know the answer, but I do know this. God is faithful. Jesus is coming back, and you've got to be ready. Okay? Doesn't matter about anything else. There's nothing in Revelation that says you do this because this will affect ABC. In the other New Testament books, we have all kinds of commands. Love one another, pray for one another, share the gospel, teach, preach, and so forth. In Revelation, God takes care of it. He tells the angels to do their part. He tells the son to do his part. You and I are taken care of if you are a Christian. So stop worrying about all these announcements. People saying, well, the end of time is such and such. Jesus was very clear. No one knows except for God himself. And that's when he was on the earth. Of course, now that he's back and back into his full realm, he obviously knows as well. But the fact of the matter is nobody on earth can say, well, I've just got it all figured out. And this is what's going to happen. Okay. We, we've heard this over and over. All these years it was given. It's like, oh, it's going to happen this date. Listen, God's word says, stay focused, do your job, he'll take care of the rest. And let me tell you something, when I think about that, I'm excited. Because I know he will take care of it, every, every bit of it. All I've got to do is keep my eyes upon Christ. Again, when Peter walked on the water, he was fine until he took his eyes off of Christ. He began to sink, right? In your life today, keep your eyes upon Christ. Glorify God with your thoughts, your words, and your actions, and he'll take care of everything else. Let's have a prayer and sing our closing song this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for these words. And Father, I pray that we would spend less time arguing about what we think is going to happen and celebrate what you said will happen. That you are coming back for your church. The bride of Christ being united with the groom for eternity. So, Father, help us to keep our eyes upon you. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be worried. Help us not to fear. But give us faith. And help us to obey you consistently. Not just when things are going bad. And, Father, we'll be faithful to give you the glory for it all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.